This is the Team of Warriors podcast, strength through leadership. Welcome, guys. Welcome to podcast of uh, That's it, we're live. Warriors. That's it, we're live. Um, All right, let's do it. Yeah, I'm Bernardo. We have Daniel with us uh, on the left. And on the screen, uh, under, we have our friend Nathaniel with us. And, and Nathaniel is uh, a Druze, okay, uh, living in Israel. And so first and foremost, this is a Druze holiday right now, the Navi Shoei. And uh, so I want to say happy holidays and thanks for joining us today, man. Thank you, brother. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. That's a, it's a pleasure, man. Um, so for those of you who don't know, uh, the, the Druze uh, community in Israel is a minority. Um, I think most of the Druze live in the north, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. In yeah, the most of the Druze, no doubt. Yeah, most of the Druze live up north. And, um, you know, without a doubt, it's a minority that is strongly involved in, in the country itself. Like, uh, a majority of them, it's not all, they, uh, they served in the armed forces, uh, often in uh, combat positions. And, um, you know, they, they're, they're just really like uh, anybody else. And they're very hands-on, okay, about the... Uh, uh, about this country and uh, you know everything that happens here um, I've had the chance of uh, meeting Druze gradually through my service like um, at first I just saw them from far like in a specific unit or like in a specific place then I met a few through my service and, and nowadays I actually like I would say half of my Maybe, I don't know, 30% of my units there or so are like uh, Druze. So I have a good contact uh, with them. And I'm very glad about that because I think uh, they're phenomenal. And uh, so I'm very glad to have you here. It's also very special to have a Druze person who speaks English so well as you did. And I was, let me just tell you that the first time I met you, I was like, what? This guy is Druze. Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, it's just he speaks English better than an American, you know, a, a fluent mother tongue guy who grew up like anywhere you want. And, and so I was like really impressed by that. And, and that's really special. So, uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us here. Um, uh, man, thanks. Daniel, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Daniel, you have anything you want to add? Uh, no, just, uh, yeah, also thanks. Thanks for coming and uh, looking forward to, to what you have to say. Uh, I'll say one more thing, even though I, obviously it's not my expertise, but a lot of people get confused about uh, Druze, between Druze and Arabs. Okay? A lot of people get confused uh, from ignorance. And uh, first of all, you have to understand that Druze are not Muslim. Okay? They have their own religion. And, um, and, uh, and so that's very important to make that distinction. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we'll begin with that, but I'll let you uh, introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit more, obviously, about the, about the Druze community and your background, you know, uh, before we move on. Right, yeah. All right. So, like I said, thanks for having me. You know, it's a pleasure to be here. And I'll just, you know, continue off what you said. So, basically, the Druze community is, we have our own religion, you're right, we have our own traditions, and most of us live around each other. So, you know, our villages are somewhat close to each other. 
we live around the same area of Israel. You know, of course, you have renegades here and there. You know, people live in, in Tel Aviv or anywhere around Israel. But you'll find most of the Jewish families, most of the big Jewish families live in the northern side of Israel. And, you know, that's basically it about the Jewish community. It's a secret religion, as in I can't, you know, explain to what we believe in and whatnot. And okay. Mm-hmm. The Druze That's interesting. Community. Why, why, why do you think it's like that, though? Why do you think it's a... Uh... <laughs> well, basically, it's, um, you know, it's a small religion. It's a small community. We have around, you know, less than a million Druze worldwide, right? Mostly in the Middle East, but, you know, we have a few scattered around. And yep. it's been a small community ever since it was, it was, you know, ever since it started. So, and every small community throughout history was been, you know, chased and hunted down and... You know, you never want any outsiders. Somewhat similar okay. to Jews, you know, we, mm-hmm. uh, we're both minorities in somewhat. We're minorities in Israel and you're, you were minorities in the world. And basically the same reason. So after the realization of, you know, it's a small community and people want to hunt us down, mostly out of Islam, we yeah. should just hide ourselves, like hide our religion. And basically at a very very um, early moment in history, we've become, we've started to like, to close ourselves off. Like our religion is secretive and you can't marry outside the religion and you're supposed to stay in the community and all that. And yeah. what we see today is what, what we had, you know, this history rolling in itself. And mm-hmm. as, a, as a result of all that happened, you know, throughout the last about thousand years, mm-hmm. you know, if you look back a hundred years ago, uh, Druze will still be, you know, chased around and slaughtered in, in Syria and Lebanon, different parts of the world and all that. And that's basically the reason we stuck with it. Um, Interesting. Yeah. But about Druze villages. So I grew up, I grew up in a Druze village, you know, like I said. And if anybody wants to dive in deeper on Druze, it's just look it up on, on Google and whatnot or ask around, you know, you'll find something. But like I said, it's a, it's a small community, and that dials down into being uh, an even smaller community when you're talking about the village you live in. Like, everybody knows everybody, and you got big families, and, you know, your neighbors are your cousins. So that kind of, you know, at first that sounds like a tight-knit community, but it's, uh, in reality, it's a bit different. You know, that small place, you know, it's, you have no actual privacy, and that's for the good and the bad of it. After a yeah. while, that becomes, becomes kind of envious, like a menacing, envious environment. Like you reach, a, you reach a point where if you do something good, you don't want other people knowing about it because it just envy you so much and they will go to different lengths to tackle you. It's, it's hmm. stupid. It's insane. Like it's, uh, but it's what you get when you're stuck with the same people for all your life. And like you have this idea of you know i gotta be better than him or i gotta have a nicer car or i gotta have a nicer home or whatnot and that that you know surprisingly that that shit sticks for generations like my father was on the idea of he has to be better than everybody around him like Mm -hmm. his 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 father my grandfather couldn't you know couldn't withstand the idea that somebody would be better than than his kid you know, having okay. a better education or whatnot. Yeah. And so hmm. I'm talking about this because that kind of shapes the, the path that I took in life. And, and, you know, of course, that 
that came down to me. I grew up in a family where, you know, my dad was, it was an old school kind of a, kind of father. I'm not talking about, you can't talk back to him. That's not the idea of that. I'm not talking about, you can't be a little bratty, you know, be yeah. a little, you know, whatnot. I'm talking about, you can't have a different opinion than the man. Like you live in this <laughs> home, <laughs> you, you gotta follow his rules. Like, it's yeah. like, I'm gonna tell you what you're gonna do in life and you have no say in this. And as a little kid, you know, you have, you know, you're easy to manipulate. Like, you're like, oh, okay, you know, you're my dad. Oh, and it's, it's, yeah, it's old it's, school. Like, it's, um, exactly, it's yeah. in other cultures as well. It's a very patriarchal society. And, you know, some places in the world are going in different directions. I don't know. You know, we're not here to say what's better or what's worse, but definitely, at least I, I, I feel like I can connect to what you're saying. Yeah, so, and, you know, you take that. <laughs> that idea of, you know, you want your son to be successful. That's, you know, that's a good thought. It's coming from a, from a decent place, from a loving and caring place. But, you know, it's, you know, the fact is what the fact is, you know, it's, it's still not the best way to, you know, we can, like, we all can decide that, you know, deciding for your kids what to do is not the best option out there. And, you know, it's not their fault. They didn't realize that back at the time. But, uh, yeah. you know, around 2008, life kind of started shifting for me. You know, I had a few things, a few occasions in life that kind of made me go up a lot faster than I, I was supposed to. And I realized, I came to the conclusion that I didn't want to stay around, you know, in this place or in this environment for very long. So I just, okay. you know, started taking the steps to step out. And that's basically, I knew what I wanted and what was destined for me by my family and environment or whatnot were two different things. Like I was good at school, had good grades. I was a little smart, you know, shy kid. I was, you know, everybody liked me, a bit of a nerd and all that. So I had all the criteria to go ahead and study and get my BA and go find a good job, you know, like uh, an engineer or whatnot or a lawyer. Hmm. Or like they had their own specific criteria for success. Like you don't have a BA, you're not successful, like you're alone. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's this really old school thing that studies equal success when nowadays actually you can see how the the richest people in the world like didn't even go to college basically. Exactly. And yeah. Un- universities have become this business where they'll just do anything to to come up with a degree or a course and charge you a lot of money for it. Exactly. So no, I didn't, I didn't realize that back when I was a kid. I just realized that this wasn't for me. It's, like I said, growing up, it's a very small community and we didn't have, you know, we had TV and all that, but we didn't have, you know, any consoles or whatnot. And we used to play around, you know, outside in the mud, throwing rocks, not rocks, but lemons. Because when I say, <laughs> when I say throwing rocks, it sounds like a... Uh, that gives a bad, bad context, but uh, <laughs> and I was I was a little like I was addicted to anything military related. Like even since I was eight, basically, cool. I was you know Black Hawk Down. I used to watch that shit on repeat like every day. I, anything <laughs> that had a military stamp on it, any clothing that had like camouflage on it, or like a military USMC cap, anything, awesome. I would just <laughs> wear that and and you know I would play GI Joe in the neighborhood and I would gather all the kids around and like recruit them. And give them selection and like be yeah. there. I used to like, I had a, I had like a, an antenna that I put on my bike 
and I broke that antenna down and I used to smack them with that antenna like you know, <laughs> like you see in movies. That's awesome, yeah. And like the make them walk in formation. He was a dream yeah. sergeant from, from a very young age. That's amazing, man. <laughs> and, and I swear, and you know, I found, um, my mom did this to me like a few years back. She found a small, like a piece of paper, a four paper, right? With like little boxes drawn on it. And, and she explained that this was, this was me drawing a map of an HVT target being held hostage you know, in one of the houses, and I used to give briefings to the guys, you know, in the neighborhood, and we used to go wow. around on missions and like steal lemons from the lemon tree from the neighbor. So, uh, yeah, so you know, everybody thought about it, like this, you know, he's it's, it's just a kid, you know, with a, that wants to play G.I. Joe. But, you know, like I said, after 2008, I realized that where I was walking towards to and what I wanted to do was different. So, you know, I stepped out of my community and that wasn't, that was a bit frowned upon at the, at the beginning, at least. Because, what was frowned upon? You know, the fact that I was stepping out to, to pursue a military career. Oh, okay. Like you mean like at the point where you decided to do officer's course? No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like going to a different school, like going to a military mm. style oh, school. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Okay. Like towards so, recruitment, like you were already yeah. taking steps to prepare yourself to do the best you can exactly and cool. these um these kind of schools that you got to prepare for and you got to like pass mm -hmm. somewhat yeah. of selection beforehand and i had to calculate my steps because i knew i was coming at a disadvantage because i know that my schools like the education that i got is you know it's not good you know, or, it's not or, good, yeah, in a, okay. mm -hmm. especially good. like looking around your competition, like everybody else that wants to go to that specific school. I had to, mm -hmm. um, had to catch up real quick. And so I went for like a different school. It was my first time stepping out of the village, stepping out of the village. Yeah, it, it was like a wow. big thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I was still a kid and I didn't know proper Hebrew. So I would mm. go to class and just sit around like a, like a fucking idiot, you know, part of my French, I would just stare at the teacher and understand jack shit and somewhat try to make up what's going on. Anything that was English related or math related, I kind of picked up really quick, you know, it's, but all the Hebrew thing was, uh, everything that wasn't math or English was a big pain in the butt. It was like a big challenge. Oh, and so, your, um, your English, you, you, yourself thought, English to the level that you have, or is there something yeah. that happened that you learned English so well? No, no, both English and, and Hebrew. I just pick up languages pretty, pretty quickly. So um, that's, a, that's a great skill. Yeah. Yeah. So after half a year, you know, in that school, I was, you know, mm -hmm. failing constantly. But after about four or six months, I kind of picked things up and, you know, things started going better for me. And I started, you know, placing my steps and, you know, I went to the school that I wanted to go to and, like I said, it's, you know, it's frowned upon, but yet again, it's a big challenge for, you know, for the individual itself. Like anybody that yeah. wanted to step out, I would like, I would wake up every morning for one full year. I would wake up every morning at 5 a.m. and walk mm -hmm. 45 minutes to the nearest bus stop mm -hmm. and take wow. a one hour bus for a one hour train. Cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And another 45 minute walk. And I had to do that, you know, every day, both ways, like back and forth. And well, what's amazing is that this is something that was your conscious decision to make. And I think that already sets you apart from a lot of people 
you know, we live in a world where there's people who can't like, for example, let alone do something that other people tell them not to do. But for example, I see, I don't want to offend anybody, but I see like there's people who, who, who can't stop, for example, talking to their family or their parents like three, four times a day as adults. Okay. I'm, I'm not talking about a kid. Yeah. I'm talking about an adult and it's fine. It's totally fine. But usually these are people who, you know, they tell you, yeah, of course I could, you know, I'm, I don't know. I, they have everything to go and succeed somewhere in another city, even in the same country, but they don't want to move because they just can't see themselves away from their family, right? In what is clearly not really away in our standards of, you know, what that means, but uh, people are scared of change and it's, it's only a handful of people that are uh, willing to do something when everybody else tells them not to do it. And, and especially at a young age. So that's like remarkable in my opinion. Well, it's, you know, back at the time, I didn't see it that way. You know, I've come to realize, I've come to realize what I've done or, you know, what kind of impact that had on me. And it's, it's not an all positive impact, you know, growing up at that young of an age and growing up to be that, in the, you know, independent and, mm -hmm. you know, making your own way, it kind of sets you in a, in a kind of a lone wolf attitude for the rest of your life, which is not, you know, it's not something good. It, you shouldn't be like, it shouldn't be like that. Right. You're not supposed yeah. to be like this, you know, mentally and physically driven guy that just like ramps through everything, you know, no obstacles or no nothing. You have to be somewhat um, balanced. And I wasn't back at that time. I wasn't as a kid. I wasn't balanced. I was like, hmm. you know, it was, you know, you get the type. I was like very mission oriented yeah, and like, oh, I didn't care oh, about oh, oh, um all game oh no it, it would be all work and no play yeah exactly all work and no play yeah so anyway that's a big deal like that's something that it's, it's hard to talk about it i find myself sometimes like going in that direction but i try to push myself back to being also human and vulnerable and and social and like funny because that is also necessary in order to work with others right like when when others, and, and especially, I think now that you're you're in a leadership position, you probably see that too. Like the minute you're very, you're all work and no play, suddenly people, you know, the the they're reluctant about a lot of the things that you know, or scared of you, or uh, they won't do things unless you approve them. Like, let's just say at the leadership level, it can affect uh, initiative greatly. Yeah, and it can also affect the uh, uh, you know connections and relationships with uh, other people who can help you with things or other organizations and things of the sort so definitely that balance is, is critical also i oh, think in my yeah. opinion no doubt about that absolutely no doubt about that so like it's understandable that at a very young age i was this sort of machine that i was you know I give two fucks about what's standing in the way but you know and obviously i cared about it but i just didn't Come to terms with myself and with my environment that I do care about, like what's difficult for me and what's going on, and that kind of you know, that kind of set me set the path for me for how I want to behave as a person. And we'll talk, mm -hmm. you know, we'll go back about that in a, in a minute. So, anyways, I go into high school, yeah. you know, do all my stuff, and like I said, frowned upon for the first few years of my life. Mm -hmm. But of course, when you're successful, like everybody's happy for you. 
Yeah. When you're down, you're down. Nobody cares. But when you're <laughs> when you're doing good, you know, people are somewhat happy for you. Love, love the jungle. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, basically did high school. Very good time in my life. You know, I wasn't I wasn't you know too much of a bad boy, but I was I I had the balance of getting the teachers to love me, but still doing. Mm -hmm. You know, still right. get into, into trouble without getting into trouble. And that kind of taught me the balance that I could have. Like, you know, at that, yeah. at that age in life, I was like, okay, I can do bad shit and get away with it if I act nice. You know, I don't have to be actually nice, but if I act nice, you know, I can get away with stuff. And, and that's how I started. Like, that's how I got in the army. Like, realizing that I wanted to be a team leader or whatnot in Special Forces. Like, I didn't want anything less than Special Forces. Right. And so I came and I studied in a boarding school, like in a military boarding school, where they prepare mm -hmm. you for, you know, for the IDF. Yeah. And what they prepared me for and what I got into are somewhat different and similar. Because as a person, I was... What's that? I was going to ask you, were you the only Druze person in that school? So it was separated. It had basically like two schools. You got the boarding school and you got the normal school. So in the boarding yeah. school, there was me and one other guy. Mm -hmm. And in the normal school, it was, you know, there was about four or five more people. Like four Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, um, so, sorry, carry on. No, all good. So anyways, I get in the army with the idea of, you know, I got to be independent. I got to be, you know, I got to be the best. And, and this is for everybody that's, you know, waiting for, to join the IDF, this is, you know, write this down. This is what you need to hear. I was, I had the idea of, you know, being the best and being not a lone wolf, like not being a dickhead, but just being the best and, and leading in that term would mean good for me, especially in special forces where the competition is great. And, you know, if you don't work hard, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make the cut. So, right. of course, there's a balance to selection, like Gibush, and a balance to, like, training, like Masloul and Akshara and all that. Yeah. So, stepping out of the Gibush, I did very good. I was, you know, I was graded first out of 400 guys. I was, after seven months, you know, after seven months after the selection, I found out that, was, that I was the top of the, the Gibush, like, graded actually first. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, that's a big that's thing. A, a big booster. Yeah. yeah, it's a big thing for you. One, for your ego, and two, to your personality. Because uh, walking around, you know, being the best, and putting air quotes on it, I'm walking around being the best, being told that I'm the best, and that automatically blocks you off from taking any, from, from the idea of you could be wrong, or maybe you're not the best, or maybe this is not the best way you can behave. Mm -hmm. And after, you know, growing up with the team it took me a while to understand because i was you know if we look back on it in a quick summary i, w I grew up in a very in an environment where i had to be a lone wolf in order to succeed and then i went yeah. through selection and being a lone wolf gave me big props and like a big recognition and all that and then i step on a team and that's where i realized that you know this shit doesn't fly in a team in a team yeah. like i said all the guys listening that want to join the idf listen to this if you want to be successful in a team, first you got to be a good team member and you got to be a good teammate. That's two different things. A teammate is a teammate that, that you care for your teammates, as in 
you're in a squad, you care for your squad, you're in a, a bigger team, you care for the bigger team, you put the team first. In a team member means that you as an individual need to be the best you can be. And I'm not talking about only being as a soldier, I'm talking about being the best as you can be as a person. And that goes down into these minor, minor details that you would not even think about. Like I would be very good at, you know, everything that's operationally related. I was like, you know, I was a, I was a good marksman. I was a good runner. I was good in Krav Maga. I was, you know, physically fit. I was a good soldier. I had my shit down to the, like to the mind, to the little deal, to the little details. But I wasn't always the first to step in and like volunteer for a shitty mission. Like, mm-hmm. let's say you got to go clean the, um, the kitchen, like, you know, to Unut Midvach, you know, kitchen duty. Yeah. I wasn't the first to raise my hand. And, I, you know, I would be in the mentality of being, like, I don't want to fucking do that shit. I'm, I'm joining special forces because I want to, you know, train to kill bad guys and whatnot. But no, that, yeah. that's a big, big mistake for me. Honestly, a big mistake. And I can't realize that only after a while. Being a good team member, a good teammate is basically the essence of, of being successful in a military career, like and being successful anywhere in life. You know, I think that's great advice. I think that's great, great advice. And, you know, so you said being a team member as opposed to being a teammate. Uh, and um, I think that that's, that's an awesome distinction um, because one of the things we've been talking about also with uh, some, some of the other uh, guests we've had is about how you become an asset, right? Not an not a problem right like for example you know there's so many people within the organization of a team of warriors or in the like you know you give them a task and it becomes even harder than doing it yourself like you know just so many questions like this this and that and how can i do this and how can i do that wait what about this what about that like dude like i gave you a task because i want you to take care of it uh sometimes you see that also with kids that come to team of warriors like they you know, so many questions about everything and like uh, they need like you to grab them by the hand and take them to do something because otherwise they can't figure it out and they like the independence, right? But if then, if you're too independent sometimes, then you're external. You're not really part of the team, like we said, and that, that can be uh, obviously a bad factor. You know, I just realized we didn't kind of like say... Um, what you are in the military and um we're not obviously getting into details too much but uh uh, we are going to say that you're in a leadership position in a special forces unit of the of the ground forces of the infantry right yeah and um so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh you know what happened after the selection and during your training you know let's keep talking about that so but I want to talk about just a second before I go on the lack yeah. of independence and the over-independence. If you're, if you're lacking independence, you're fucking up as a team member because you're not pulling your weight. You're not contributing to the team. Mm-hmm. And if you're too independent, you're not being a good teammate because you're pushing too forward. You're not looking around. You know, you're not seeing your, uh, where everybody's going. Right. So without a doubt, like I said, everybody listening, you got to write this down. Anyways, finish... Um, Throughout training, you know, I'm just work my way, big competition. You know, it's a team of 30 guys that everybody passed selection. And 
great guys. You know, I had, I had the opportunity after first two months, um, I, had, I had like a chance to swap out units to a supposedly better unit. Okay. And after two months, I got so hooked up with the team that I didn't want to go. I didn't want to leave. Even though it was a better option for me, and even though it was just two months in, you know, I was, cool. yeah, I was, I was just in, so into the team so much that I didn't want to, I didn't even think about leaving them. And hmm. take this, even when, even though the fact that I got into that unit, knowing that I wanted to be like in a leadership position afterwards, meaning that at somewhat point in life, I had to ditch the team to go pursue my courses and all that. That was, that was a big hit. That wasn't easy. Like I had a twist in my stomach knowing that I got to leave the guys. And so we did a, you know, 16 months of training. I was. Oh, wait, uh, Tano, I, I think that that is a super inter interesting point um, because this, you're not the only one. It happens a lot that, you know, guys get into certain units and suddenly they get a different opportunity for something. Most of the times it's something they don't know what it is, but it's sold to them like it's amazing, okay? Uh, for example, we've had guys who started in like Shayete, uh, like the Navy SEALs um, or other units and were suddenly offered uh, to work in like an intelligence unit that basically the recruiter that calls them tells them, I can't tell you what this is, but this is like incredible and this is amazing. And if you want to do it, come. And most of the times people, I was, I was very surprised how, you know, for example, we met some a, a, a guy who all he wanted was to be in Shayete. That's all he ever wanted. He trained for it specifically. He did it and he achieved it and he was there. And suddenly they offered him this other thing and he took it. And it ended up being the worst thing he could have done. He hated it. And he was out of there like after a month and then he couldn't go back to, the, to his previous oh, unit, which was, uh, you know, really bad. But yeah, it sucks. surprised me that you took the other decision. And I mean, obviously, I, I'm not surprised now that I know more about you and how, you know, you really are very independent in your thoughts and not affected by external factors. But I think that the reason I want to focus on that is because my, the majority of us are not like that in the sense that we're easily, you know, affected by you know other opportunities and things and you know how people think that the grass is greener on the other side and everything that shines you know might be gold and so how did you i mean you told us that it's because you connected so much to your guides but like i'm sure you had your doubts so so what made you you know stick to that decision even though you had this uh, you know what seemed to be like a great deal in front of you and an opportunity you didn't want to miss well, back at the time, I didn't actually understand. Like, I knew where I was going, and I knew what I was somewhat, like, it's similar. Like, you know, we can't tell you what it, what it is, but, you know, it's a good job and whatnot or whatever. And I knew, like, mm -hmm. the guidelines of what I was supposed to do. But it, one, it didn't feel right. And looking back at it, I just, you know, made the decision out of what feels right and what doesn't. Now, this sounds, you know, like... Trusting your instinct and you know following your gut feeling or whatnot, but it's not exactly like that because I've talked to people before, like before joining the IDF. I've listened to podcasts, not for Tzibet Luchamim, because I don't know if you guys existed back then. I don't think so, but I, but no. yeah, like I've done my homework. Like I've, I've listened and I looked around, and I had a good base to give, like to make my decisions. I was just shooting in the dark. Like 
I did one plus one out of what I know. And, and that's basically like, and I said, and of course there was a risk involved of, you know, passing on a great opportunity, but you know, risks are, you know, part of it. You can't ignore them. You can, you just got to realize that they're there, that they're there and take them for what they are. So having a good base of knowledge, like knowing your shit and trusting your instincts, like those two go hand in hand. And if you do those two, even if you make the wrong decision, I'm sure you're not going to regret it because it's not going to be like a hasty decision or like a not thought out decision. So um, gather anything you know about everything. Like listen to everybody. Listen to what anyone has to say. You don't have to take it all. You just got to listen and decide for you, you know, what's good information and what's not. And when you're educated, and I'm putting that in air quotes, then you have a good actual basis to make, you know, those decisions of um, being in the dark and whatnot. Well, uh, just to add to that, like uh, the, w one of these things that, uh, that people are getting in the military is this whole brotherhood and the, the community and your team and, uh, you know, everyone that you're with. Now, I, I know personally from, from going to commander school and moving to Fkidim that sometimes, obviously, the, the unit I was in, the training times a lot shorter. So there's always this FOMO. So for example, to, to leave and go to commander school, to go to officer school, you're always coming into a new team as a new person. So you're sort of joining a group of people that, that grew up together in the army. The people that you grew up with, you're leaving them and they're staying together and they're continuing and they, they continue to have their like team meetings on the weekend and you know hang out with each other. But you've essentially got up and you've left and you've tried to make sort of a, a new group that you're, you're right. a part of. And th there's always that FOMO. And I think, I mean, I personally know people who've given up on the chance to, to go to officer school, given up on the chance to go to commander school, or even to go to special units. I know people who had passed uh, Giboshim within the unit to go to a different unit, chose to come back to the, to the you know, the, I guess the basic unit in order to be with the people that they'd uh, been in basic training with. I mean, what, with regards to that FOMO, so someone who, I mean, well, you've, you've been in a few places now. How, yeah. How you dealt with that? So, like I said, it's, um, you, like, I've had friends who passed up on officer school and refused to become team leaders because they wanted to stick with the team. And short term, if you look at it, you're right. You know, you're sticking with the team and you're continuing on as a, as a team member. And, you know, you're with your guys and that's fun. But... If you ask me, that's a bit childish because, you know, you got to realize that you're not going to stay together forever. You know, this isn't anything or whatnot. Some point in life, you're going to leave that team. And if you can have the opportunity to, you know, you yourself, if you're fit, if you're cut out for it and you you know, your, um, your profile fits the profile of a team member or of a team leader and you're passing up that opportunity in the long term, that's a mistake. You are taking away a good chance of having a better team in special forces a year from now, two years from now, because you were thinking about you and your team. So, right. You gotta be like, you know, if, if I, if I decided to go at that phase in my, in my you know, career, two months after I started, you know, I, I got into the team, the biggest effect it would have on the team is me getting out of the team. Right. So it's not like I cut out a big chunk of their future. It's still the beginning. It's we're, we're still in a, in a not so sensitive phase in, in, in training. Like people were getting out of the team because they were getting kicked out. And they, again, 
wouldn't have that big of an impact on the team. That's different from passing up officer school. Like if they come up to you and say, like if the IDF comes up to you and says, look, you're fit for it. You're qualified to be a team leader. And we think you'd be a pretty damn good one. And you yourself believe that you could be a good one, but you decide not to go because you want to stay with the team. You know, grow up. Like seriously, I've, I've, I mean, I'm saying this in, in a bit of aggressive tone. It's because I've seen outstanding men just outstanding, amazing people just passing up on the opportunity of making the IDF better. Like every good CEO or every good team leader has an impact on the whole of the IDF or on the ground forces or whatnot. And passing up something like that just because, you know, you want to stick with the guys. It's, uh, you know, stick with the guys on the weekend, man. But, you know, don't affect a different team in a year from now or two years from now because of your... Uh, because of that friendship and it sucks it sucks i came prepared man i got i got three three years of preparation and it was rough as a motherfucker to leave the guys yeah. i'm not it's like ripping off a bandage like quick fast doesn't matter it's like a, too big of a bandage to, to rip it off as fast it's gonna hurt no matter what but it's worth it man it's it's for the bigger good it's for a greater cause well to to follow up to that question uh I'll bring a question that, that comes up often in, in our community, at least in the team of warriors community is there's a lot of like sexy courses in the army, right? There's like sniper school and there's going to, you know, all sorts of other courses that not everyone in the team is able to do. Um, taking into account that often someone that is fit to go to one of these schools might have a better opportunity going to commander school, becoming an officer, you know, if you have any tips or, or anything as, as someone who's been to some of these schools for people that, for example, we have, uh, you know, people in the community who really, really want a specific course. Let's say they, they really, no matter what, want to be a Chobesh, as a random example. And they're willing to a do medic, anything to, yeah, to, to be a medic and they're willing to do anything to go to that course. It, even if it means sacrificing other courses or giving up, especially on leadership courses. Um, yeah. What, what do you have to say about that? So that's tricky because some courses are offered at the beginning of training as in medic school or whatnot. Um, you can only go to medic school three months after you're into training. And after three months, it's very difficult to decide whether you fit out to be if you're cut out to be a team leader or go to commander school, whatnot. So you don't exactly know if you might make the cut to commander school or not, but you do for sure know like that you could be a medic. So that's a tricky spot to be in for, you know, yeah. honesty is a big thing for me. So if you're at that point, if you, you know, if you're contemplating whether you want to be a medic or a, or a team leader or whatnot, first ask yourself, what do you want more, but not in the, not in the sexy way of, you know, I'm a medic in special forces, you know, that sounds so sexy and that's, I'm a sniper in special forces, that sounds so good. Not in the childish, dumb way of asking what you want, but like, who I am, what am I capable of, what I want, what do I want to achieve, what do I want to contribute, and what do I think am I cut out for, and not just that. And after that, you got to ask, ask your commanders, what do they think you're cut out for? You know, commanders are guys with, like, I'm talking about, like, staff sergeants or NCOs, like Samalim, Makim, like, squad leaders or team leaders or Mufkatsim and 
you know, company officers or whatnot, they went through that phase that you're going through right now. So every unit is different, of course. But these are experienced guys that want the best for the unit and for the team. And if you could be good for the unit or the team, they'll let you know. They'll be like, all right, you know, don't go through medical school. We want you as a team leader. Yeah. But if you're, a, if you're a spoiled little brat who thinks he deserves everything and he goes on deciding what's best for him without looking, you know, left and right, you know, you're going to get the same response, you know, fuck you, you know. It will be a runway model or whatnot. Like, <laughs> go on your own show. Sell chicken. Um, <laughs> so, so how about... Um, you tell us a little bit more about your training. I know that in this, um, I mean, I was once in a, in a unit like this. Uh, the training is very intense, very long, and very stressful. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that uh, period, okay, before we move on to more of like, you know, the, the, what happened afterwards, because you also, you know, you have a long story of what happened after training. Right. So basically, like I said, drill training, um, 60 months, good time. I was, you know, I've done good. I was, I was a good, you know, I like to believe that I was a good teammate and I was a good team member. And, you know, that set me on a very specific, like I knew eight months after I started, you know, I started training, I knew that I was destined to go to commander school and like to be an officer and whatnot. And that's exactly what I wanted. So, I, you know, I got what I wanted basically. Didn't go through any special training throughout, you know, I just did the basic commander destined training through training. I don't know if that makes any sense, but like you said, through training, you go, you go to different schools. And I went to the, to the courses that destined you to be a, a team leader afterwards. So I did that, you know, for 16 months. And after that, I did, uh, you know, finished training and all that. And then I did uh, post smoking, which is like. Yeah, the sergeant's course. Sergeant's course, exactly, yeah. Did that for four months and done pretty good. It was my first time stepping out of the unit, which means it was the first time mm -hmm. I could walk around without a, you know, without a timer running on my watch <laughs> or, you know, not having to shit in like three minutes. And, you know, I could eat as much as I wanted in the chow hall without, you know, being rushed off. And yeah. I could buy a Coke afterwards. So it was like a very big relief after that. And... Four months of that was a good, good time. A lot of fun. And straight after that, I was offered to go straight into officer school, like straight through Badehad. Mm. And at first I didn't want it. At first I was like, I'm gonna take my time, you know, I wanna do I'm gonna do one job as a as a sergeant at least, like four months as a sergeant. Mm -hmm. And and then I'll go to officer school, it doesn't matter. But it's like, you know, we want you as a team leader as fast as possible. That's great. So did that for for eight months, like officer school, and we have a thing in our unit where if you finish like with a with a mofet or a mitzvah, what do you call that? Honors. Yeah, like uh, an award of a excellency. Or, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, if you if you finish with one of these awards, if you like finish, like you go to officer school with guys from your unit, and of course it's mm -hmm. a competition on which guy does what job after they come back mm, let's say we yeah, were four guys yeah. we were four guys and with their three slots open in the unit 
in a fourth mm-hmm. slot was out of the unit. So mm-hmm. the guy that finishes, you know, finishes first gets to decide what slot he wants to take. And mm-hmm. so I picked, you know, I picked the slot of, of, of running my own team, like of recruiting my own team from scratch. Like, mm-hmm. you know, getting in rookies, first day in the IDF, you know, after selection wow. and all that. And yeah. Stepping out of the cage, you know, with their you know, their their green hats on, and looking up, standing in, in in formation, and looking up and seeing me, my ugly face, about to rip them apart for like eight straight months, and, and that wasn't what I wanted to do, and that's what I did. I that's got my awesome. First you, you become like their basically their new family, like their new father, pretty much. No doubt. You know, they yeah. see you from day one, and you build them to be warriors and then you you get a chance to be with them also in operations right at well, least for a few for, months yeah for me it's um it was a bit different but yes you're supposed to at least you know follow them into an operational role like mm-hmm. after your training you're supposed to lead them at least for two months into something operational right but for me it was a bit different i had to you know i got them i got them you know fresh off the bat and i had them for eight months and it was an amazing experience Amazing, like I've dealt with, yeah. with things that the most people don't even realize. Like I've dealt with bad sergeants, mm-hmm. like sergeants who were toxic and had yeah. to, you know, kick off the team. Something that doesn't happen very often. Like nobody prepared me for that. Nobody told me, yeah. like, look, you're gonna come to a situation where a sergeant's gonna like disobey orders or whatnot. Wow. Especially in special forces, man. That's like that yeah. shit isn't common at all. Um, yeah, crazy. So. I've done that for eight months, and after eight months, I got a phone call from uh, my battalion commander or my unit commander, whatever you call it, mm-hmm. um, stating that they want to they want to upbring a sniper team. Like we didn't have a founded sniper team in the unit; we had just different snipers in different teams. Like yeah. instead of having one team of snipers, they had just snipers scattered around the teams, and yeah. if something was needed, they would just hmm. update like pluck them out of their teams and put them in the mission and go for it. Yeah. So after eight months, I kind of left the, the first team that I had and joined the squad. Like it was me with three guys and that was wow. my team, like for the first three months. And, awesome. you know, I went to sniper school as an officer. It was fun. Good times. You get a lot of perks being an officer in the school full of rookies. You know, it's a, it's a different experience. So we went to sniper school and came back to that squad and, you know, got my training inside the unit and, you know, got hooked up on the details and on the team and what, what it was like. And a sniper team is a lot different than a normal team. Like I didn't, I didn't expect, I didn't want to be a sniper team leader, but that's what I got. And it's a lot different. You know, there's the professional side of it. Like being a sniper is a profession. It's not being a medic. It's not being an Negevist, like a machine gun or whatnot. Yeah. Being a sniper is a religion, man. You got to follow shit. To the book and if you don't you're gonna mess up hmm. and out of these four guys we ended up being a lot bigger I'm not gonna say exactly how big but um i basically went through different teams and had to give my own selection process and like my own and i, I had to pick my own snipers i had to pick my own team which is a blessing like it's a gift ask any team leader and hmm. like what's your biggest wish as a team leader is they would say to pick the guys that I want to be with me. How did you pick them? Like, what was the selection that you set for yourself? So, basically, I had 
you know, a lot of criteria is super important. Some of the criteria are like physical. Like if somebody has a lazy eye, then you officially could be a sniper, like no matter how bad you want him. Or like somebody yeah. that's somewhat colorblind, he couldn't mm -hmm. be a sniper. So after all these physical aspects, I looked for people who are independent, and I'll explain what I mean by independent in a second. Independent, professional, and good teammates. When I say independent, I mean, I'm talking about like given a mission and they go do the mission. I'm talking about given a mission that has a lot of obstacles in it, a mission that you would not give a normal guy, a normal soldier. Like there's obviously a difference between the tasks you give uh, a normal soldier and tasks you give a team or like a sergeant or whatnot. I expected the highest level of responsibility and independence. Like if I give you a mission and you don't do everything in your power to solve that problem and finish that task, then you're not on the team. And I used to do that. I had my own ways of checking, you know, and giving these sort of things and checking that thing out. Um, but that was one major thing that I look for. I'll give an example, given the fact that there's a lot of lone soldiers listening to this or would listen to this. Yeah. You could be the best guy there is, right? Yeah. You get a about a month's notice. If you're listening to this, then you get a, a whatever time you got left to enlist in IDF notice that there's going to be sniper selection. And if your Hebrew is not you know, good enough to be able to communicate with a different guy that speaks only Hebrew to an operational status, you're not going to make the cut. Now, you know that a month ago, like you know that you have a month to be better at that. And if you don't study and if you don't perfect your Hebrew, as much as you can in that month, then you're not that you're not the kind of guy that wanted the team. Like if you don't want this so badly that you're gonna give up sleep to increase your chances of speaking better Hebrew and getting right. in the team, that you're you're not gonna make it. You're not gonna that get that demonstrates um, you know how bad do you want it, but it comes from also um, a point of you know, show me, don't tell me. Like show me you can do it. Don't just tell me you can do it. A lot of people don't understand that. Everyone's willing to say, I want to be in special forces. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do that. Very few are willing to put in the work. And like you said, sleep less, maybe go out to less parties, maybe, you know, do, do so many things that a lot of people can't give up on. And, you know, that just demonstrates so much, right, of a, of a person. I've had a guy who had done selection and we had – doesn't matter how many guys I was looking for, but I had a guy that was fit. He was good. He, like, he filled in all the boxes. He checked all the boxes. But he was colorblind. Hmm. And he was like, let me do the selection. Just let me do it. Don't take me at the end. Just let me do it. All right? And I, do the, you know, I was like, you know, fuck it. You know, it's good competition. He's like, he's good competition for the other guys. So I let him do the selection. And he does very good. Wow. Selection ends. They go home. Right? Eight hours later, he sends me a text with a fully detailed description of his colorblindness and like his exact situation. He went to a, like to a doctor mm -hmm. and he got the full report of what he can and what he can't do. And he was like, I am positive that this, this will not affect me in a negative way throughout sniper school or like through my, my, uh, my work as a sniper. Amazing. And, and he got in, man. I went, I took him back in and I like made a few eye exams and whatnot, checked him with different night vision 
the models like thermal cameras and all that. Mm-hmm. And he got in and he was done outstanding. And not a lot of people find that, you know, rational. They're like, okay, I can't make it because I'm colorblind. I'm just gonna, you know, give up on it. But this motherfucker went home, paid a doctor to check out his eyes and get a full report and like texted me. Like, where did he get my phone number, man? Like, I don't even know you. Like, I don't even know your name. You're like number seven for me. Wow. So that's the kind of independence I'm looking for. The second thing I was looking at is teammate. Like working in a team, dynamics in a team. And being a teammate kind of boils down to a lot of minor details like for example if you lie you're fucking up with the team like if you say if the team gives out missions like you go fill the water canisters and you get go get the food and you go make sure there's fuel in the truck and you go make this and that and that and they scatter around into the missions and you come back and you give a false report of what you've done you're going to affect the team so independence kind of so being a teammate kind of boils down to a lot of major things and I don't have to go into details about the whole selection process or what I was looking for, but these two major things kind of gave you the idea of what I was looking for. Like you gotta be independent, you gotta be you gotta be good made, you gotta be professional, you gotta be fit, and you gotta do the best work you can. Hmm. And it sounds a lot easier than done. You yeah, know, definitely. a lot of people So you got your team together and then and then what happened? Basically did about 18 months of being a sniper team leader. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, it was the whole riots on the Gaza border. It was like just starting. Wow. That's a big whole, like that's a big thing for snipers. And during the first three months of that, these riots and whatnot, we were running. Uh, <clears throat> we were, uh, nice voice crack. We were running um, like an, a, a preparation for a different op. It took us four months and never in my life I've thought that you know leading a team in four months of preparations you know it sounds sexy and it sounds easy well, but hard. when you do the same thing for four months straight and we had to sleep we had our days like um like we used to sleep throughout the day and train throughout the night like so we used to wake up at 8 p.m train to like you know wow 11 a.m. and go back to sleep. Different different times, different throughout the week, and all that. And came came across bigger challenges that I've uh, that I've expected. Wow! Like you have everything. You know, it's it's funny because nobody expected that, but it happened as quickly as it. You know, it just happened like any anything else. Like you're in special forces, you've got to kick-ass job, you know, you made selection for snipers. And now you're working on this secret scroll shit kind of op that requires four months of training. Like, life is a dream, right? But three months in, it, it's not, you know, it's not as dreamy as it, as it sounds like. You're fucking sick and tired of it, man. You're, you're sick right. and tired of, of living in the dark for like three months. Saying you, you know, you're sick and tired of you know training so intensively, so much. But um, that's when that's when the selection process comes in. That's when you know being independent is not a mm-hmm. not like an extra bonus. It's like a habit. Like I don't give a fuck if you're uh, if you're tired, if you're hungry, if you're sick of it. 
if you know you know you got to do something you i know that you're going to do it and if you don't you're just not going to stay on the team it's as easy as that or somebody's going to get affected on the team or somebody's going to get hurt on the team hmm. so uh did that you know four months of that then had the whole riots on the gaza border and um, at least two operations a week um and Ayosh, Judea, and Samaria, and all that. So it was the week was nothing was stable. Like nothing was. Every week was different from the week before. Like we had weeks where we'd be like two days up north, two days down south, two days in the middle of Israel. Wow. Next week we're like a week up north, then, you know, call back from home to go down south again. You know, it was just a big mess, big big mess. But it's uh amazing opportunity it was the best job i've ever had like that's it was awesome. the, the best time of my life honestly the best time of my life biggest really rich yeah that's really awesome man um so that was 18 months what did you do after yeah. that well after 18 months of uh, running with the sniper team i uh, basically had to leave him to go on forward with my life and to go on different schools and do different shit. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm like in a second phase or a third phase or whatever you call it. Okay, cool. That's great. So yeah. let me try to connect a little bit, uh, what you, you know, what you've done and, and who you are with the, the concepts that we want to talk about on this podcast and for the team of warriors community. Uh, and as many of you know, they're like you mentioned also lone soldiers or uh, immigrants, right? The youth at risk. There are many times uh, minorities themselves in, 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 a, you know, in the terms of like military, of going into units, of doing a selection, of going through training. And I think uh, you as the Druze, who is, uh, you know, which is a, a, a small percentage, okay, of the soldiers that joined the IDF, um, you've experienced that too, as being a minority. And basically, like, like I said, um, I believe that minorities come to a selection or a training process with a handicap because they are a minority. And uh, yeah. so I would like to like, you know, hear your thoughts about it a little bit and see what you can tell us about that uh, that can help maybe those listeners who are going to be in similar situations. So... To sum this up before I even start, nobody gives a flying fuck where you're from or who you are or what your last name is, what God prayed to, as long as you put in the work. They don't care about anything else as long as you put in the work. If you have no disadvantage on any other guy, they absolutely don't care. For I'll give an example. So I had, of course, I went through selection with a lot of Jews, a lot of Jews guys, and they came unprepared, as in they, their Hebrew was messed up. They didn't understand teamwork dynamics. They didn't understand leadership. They didn't understand the concept of, you know, discipline. Because they grew up in a different, you know, environment, sure. But those are things that you need to understand before you step in the selection or whatnot. And they came, they came out and they were like, oh, they didn't accept me because I'm Cruz. That's not, that's not true. They didn't accept you because you're not good enough. The right, fact that you grew up, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, the fact that you grew up in a Jewish community gave you a disadvantage of, you know, having 
you know, less than good Hebrew. That's right. You know, nobody's taking that away from you. You're right. You grew up with an increased difficulty, but everybody grows up with its own obstacles. Like you don't know what's going on in other people's lives, yep. but you know what you're missing. You know what's needed. It's on you to, you know, to do the, put, to put in the work to get to a point where you're not in a disadvantage, but you're in an, in an advantage. You know, you, you just got to work a lot you harder. You got to work harder. And it brings us to a point where, you know, it's natural that people just blame everything but themselves for their failures. You know, it's very easy to say, I wasn't able to do it because of them. I wasn't able to do it because of the weather, because of these times, because of the coronavirus, because of, uh, you know, my parents. Like, there's, there's always excuses, right? But that's like the last thing you can do when you're starting at a disadvantage is fall into those excuses. I, you know, have a big, big issue with, with the whole moaning attitude. You know what I mean when you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. it's too extreme measure. Like, I used to hate it when people used to moan, like, with the, with body carries, mm. right? Just the idea of somebody moaning out of, you know, the, it's normal. Like, I'm not going to hate you for that. But there's a difference between moaning when it's rough or, like, bitching when it's hard and still put it in the work then the whole moaning attitude of like um you know i don't have enough time to to get my hebrew better or i don't have enough time to train or you know nobody's guiding me mm -hmm. people don't understand they're privileged as fuck like i don't even know if people realize like the fact that you guys are stepping out of your lives to mentor and to teach kids on what should be done, like half of these little brats wouldn't even realize it. Like we're feeding you. Like I'm, I'm saying this with great frustration, right? Because I've tried so hard to pull people from my community into this path in life, like where they wanted to be, you know, they'd watch Fauda and everybody suddenly wants to be a Mistarev. Like everyone yeah. wants to go to Gaza and like shoot shit up, mm -hmm. but when the work needs to be done, they just back out. They just like walk away. And like, you have an amazing opportunity. You have everybody to help you. There's not like nobody today in Israel that is looking for help to get to special forces and to get to, into training or to be a better teammate or whatnot and looks for that help and doesn't find it. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You will always find somebody to help you. Always find somebody to mentor you. You have no right. You have no right to say you don't have what it needs or you, you can't get the right help to you, you know, to get where you want to be. And even if you don't, you know, make, find a way. Like, make your own path, man. Fucking do whatever needs to be done. But realize that life for you is a lot easier for a lot of other people. Like, life for other people is a lot more difficult than yours. So, you know, this is it. This is, this is what's going on. This is the situation. Put in the work or don't put in the work. But don't bitch about it if you don't make it. It's all up to you, man. Yeah, I, I, this, this topic pisses me off. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I got into a fit for a second. But this is a topic that's... Uh, <laughs> well, that's good, man. We like emotions that come across on the podcast. It, it makes it yeah. better. <laughs> Tell me something about... 
another subject I want to connect to uh, with regards to military life is leadership. And leadership means different things for, um, for different people. Um, but I want to know a little bit of how you experienced uh, uh, learning about leadership. Like I believe that you could be born with leadership skills or not, but in the end of the day, even if you are or you're not, you still learn, you know, throughout your life uh, more about leadership skills and you can develop that, that skill, um, you know, through your lifetime. And uh, so I want to hear a little bit about your thoughts on, on, on military leadership um, and, and, you know, how you approach it also as a minority, because in the end of the day, that's also good, you know, uh, uh, it makes it also harder. Right. So I think that leadership is a skill. Now, you could be born with certain attributes that could, like, contribute to the leadership skill that you may or may not have, as in, like, I, like, I do believe that some people are born with a bigger advantage of being leaders because they understand, you know, relationships better. They understand, or they're just better as human beings. Like, they grew up in an environment where they, you know, they bless teamwork or, you know, looking out for each other. But leadership itself is a skill that can be honed. And even though, like, some people might be born deeper into it, it doesn't mean that you can't get better at it. Like being a good leader is in general, not in, in the military. Being a good leader means basically understanding dynamics and emotions in people and being good enough. It's not convincing people to follow you. It's being good enough as a person for people that like to make people want to follow you. You know what I mean? Like you can go ahead and, and try to convince people to follow you to whatever. True leadership comes from a point where you're just who you are and you're good enough as a human being for other people to look at you and say, yeah, I trust this guy, you know, I'm, I don't mind following him. Military leadership comes with bigger risks and the extra, the extra cost of having to be professional, like having to be a good soldier. Like you can't be a good military, a military leader without being a good soldier. So if I boil it down, being a good company, like being a good team leader is basically being a good, being the best teammate yourself, being the best team member and in having these attributes that, you know, understanding team dynamics and understanding people and understanding emotion. But how would you say Dugmaishit in English? Like a personal example or personal example, exactly. Or, yeah. Or le leading by example, you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Tell so leading by example is Yeah. What would be the hardest things you've experienced in two things? One as a teammate and one as a leader. So one as a teammate yeah. is mm -hmm. how to deal with people that you know they're good but they're not a part of the team as they should be. Like, he's a good guy, he's a good marksman, he runs fast, he's good, but again, he's not, like, if there's a mission where somebody has to like volunteer for something, I'm not talking about he's not the first to volunteer, but he runs away from that. Like, he gives excuses on why he can't volunteer to, to go help, you know, do kitchen duty or whatnot. And as a teammate, it was, it was a challenging, um, 
problem to deal with because everybody has their fuck ups. But you know, there's a certain line that you can't cross where if you hurt the team too much, you have to come to realize that you're hurting the team and you got to fix yourself and to stop, you know, to stop whatever you're doing and start doing something else and start contributing back to the team. And it's a very delicate position to be in as a teammate because you don't want to hurt their feelings because you're good men. You're not, you're not bad people. You're your best friends. Yeah. But some people could be oblivious to the fact that even though they don't mean to hurt everybody or to hurt the team, they do. Like, let's say being stubborn. Like I, I myself, I'm a stubborn guy. And sometimes my stubbornness affected the team in a, in a negative way. Like, let's say we have a briefing and we want to decide on which way to attack this objective. And I would just believe, I would believe that I had the best opinion. And I would fucking fight for it. Because, you know, that, that, that's the world you're in. You know, you got to, if you believe in what you say, you're, you're not afraid to say what you think. Everybody's not afraid to say what you think. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a special forces team. But it's very difficult to realize that you were in the wrong. And it's even more difficult for, for teammates to tell you that you were in the wrong. Because nobody knows how to approach that situation. You know, it's not, you can't go too direct on it because you just won't accept it. So, you know, it's a lot of minor details. That, it's a lot of things that I don't think about as a person or I didn't think about as a person. Um, so that's as a teammate. Like how to approach different problems within the team. You know, honesty is a big thing out of it. Like it's a big fix. It usually, you know, removes anything toxic within the way. But as a leader, you know, it's uh, it's a wide scale, man. I don't, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. Like difficulties, difficulties that I had <clears throat> as a team leader were uh, were many and different. Um, I'm thinking of one right now. Yeah, I think there's the, you know, especially we have mentioned this quite a bit and as a minority. And I know, for example, when, when I joined, specifically when I, when I joined the army, I was told that, uh, you know, no one that went to Michelon, which is the, the Hebrew course of the army, uh, could, could ever be a commander. I was told that there was no way that you would build your Hebrew enough from that course to when you leave for commander school to, to be able to become a commander. Um, and I sort of, you know, built myself around that and realized that that, that wasn't the case. And after becoming a commander, one of the biggest challenges I had was I built myself up to have enough Hebrew to go to the school, but then you're, you're essentially a foreigner with an accent standing in front of a bunch of Israelis and uh, you, uh, you need them to trust you. And, a lot of times, especially in the IDF, with such a diverse, you know, not, not that I don't think other armies have diverse, uh, you know, even the U.S. Army, there's, you know, people from all sorts of backgrounds, but they are doing it as a profession. And here with the conscription, you're essentially being judged often on, on who you are, whether you're Ashkenazi, Zahi, whether you're a Druze, whether you have an accent, whether you don't have an accent. And there is like a Nitya, like a, like a push for for sometimes people to to judge you on these things, and yeah. uh, you know, as I definitely think that uh, being a Druze and and being a team leader, uh, you could probably have a lot to say about that. So funny, this kind of connects to Bernardo's question about uh, difficulties that I had as a team leader, not as a team member. 
So as a team member, I was dealing with guys that I know, right? They were my teammates. And right, you got to find the right way to approach them for him to accept the, the advice that you're telling him. But as a team leader, like as an officer, you come in contact with a lot of people that don't know you. And people can't see me, right? But I'm not going to describe how I look, but you guys can see that I don't look like the top of the line GI Joe, right? I'm not shaven, clean cut. And you've never seen me like throughout my army, you know, service, but I wasn't a big fan on all the minor details. Like I used to walk around with sunglasses on, you know, a little cigarette in my mouth with a, with like a, a Boston Red Sox hat on backwards, you know, and uh, like an old t-shirt, you know, that's something, you know, it's a bit frowned upon. So when I was doing that uh, preparation for that op for four months, I got to meet a lot of high ranking officers hmm. and who would say that they were concerned with me being the team leader. Like <laughs> before they'd see me like in an operational role, they, they'd be like, okay, so this guy looks like, you know, <laughs> Like, why does he have a skateboard on base? I, I like sometimes <laughs> used to, to go with my skateboard on base, which is you know, you have free time sometimes. You want to you know, fucking do kick flips, do that. You know, you're not hurting anybody, but it doesn't look That's good. Great. That's right? a it great example. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't look good. So people would be like, "I'm concerned with this guy," until that until the point of you know me doing my job as a team leader. And as a special forces, you know, operative, operator or whatnot, like the second that I started doing my job, they knew that I knew my shit in the best way possible. They got off my back. Like, and I wasn't convinced that just because I don't fit the profile of your standard top of the line, you know, whatever, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm not putting in the work. If I, for one second, don't get me wrong, for one second, if I fuck up in my operational role or my leadership role or whatnot, and not just, you know, looking like I don't fit in, if I fuck up for one second, blast me, like judge me, tell me exactly where I'm wrong. And I promise you, I will not back off from it. Hmm. But just because, you know, just because I have a bat in my head on backwards doesn't mean I'm a, I'm a less fit for, for being a leader. And of course. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, a lot of high ranking officers, they're like in their 45s, 50s, you know, mm -hmm. put a responsibility of like a special op in my hands and looking at me, you know, first impression, it's, you know, it's not very calming. It's not very soothing. Well, but it wouldn't be suiting for you either if, you know, you're choosing your, your team, for example, and suddenly you get a guy who, I don't know, uh, you see him like... Um, dressed up in a certain way or doing certain things like it would also worry you it's natural in the end yeah, yeah of course um but that's a great example <laughs> that's yeah i'm glad you, yeah that's uh that's a good point and just to be clear mm. as long as you put in the work people yeah. do not care what you look like and i'll i'll even say this if you put in the work and you're excellent I'm not talking about good, you're excellent, and then you're amazing at it, and people admire you. That minor detail or that difference that you have in the way that you look becomes a bonus. It becomes right. like a, a, a positive part of you. People right. stop making fun of you, but they're like, they'd be like, oh, this guy, you know, he's a, 
He's a badass and he's a skater. Yeah, it, it, suddenly it's a good thing. Like I said, when, when you're doing good, people like support you and people like you. Right. Tell me, before Daniel jumps in with the, uh, another set of questions, I want you to, you know, kind of like say some positive stuff about the type of unit that you've been on, okay? Um, uh, you tell us how you want to define it, but the reason I'm saying this is because over the years, these units, you know, they're, they're really in the middle of a lot of things. Like, uh, they're often pulled down, sometimes they're pushed up. There's a lot of history, there's a lot of uh, uh, things. A lot of people don't really understand, like, uh, the work that you can do there. Um, and obviously changes with time, but, um, but can you say a few things about your unit or your type of unit, you know, whatever you choose, uh, just to encourage kind of like uh, guys who only hear, you know, about like, you know, I have to be in Sayed Matkal, I have to be in Shayetet, uh, I have to be in Dubdevan or, you know, I'm not, uh, I didn't make it. Um, I think that would be helpful because a lot of people miss on the opportunity of a, a type of unit like this which is still a special unit, um, but it's maybe, you know, it's not a tier one unit, but it's still a, a really good place with quality people and a place where you get to do a lot of work, you know, like constantly, and that can be very, very fulfilling. Yeah, so what I can realize at a later point in my service is the IDF is, a lot more simple than we think it is like it works in different ways that let me put it this way being in a tier one unit does not promise you doing super secret shit mm -hmm. but of course it increases the chances but being in like without a doubt being in a special forces at any one of the tiers your chances of doing something interesting and fun and you know not just fun, but like contributing more to the state of Israel, you know, by doing more sensitive work, the chances of doing that in these special forces units is a lot bigger, without a doubt. And sometimes, you know, people go on to these tier one units and they spend four years without doing anything interesting. And it's not their fault. And it's not their unit's fault. It's just, you know, the way the world is. Like, nothing came up. You're not, you know, nothing came up. What can you do about it? But on the other hand, some unit in Ayosh or in the Julian Sumeria um, got hit or you know, like somebody opened fire on them or they got info about, you know, this high value target that's holding up in, uh, in a Mempe, like in a, in a refugee camp. And they're the ones that are going to respond to that call, to respond to that mission. And of course, you know, if... If it could be possible, the IDF would be bigger with bigger units and more places and more slots for people to fill. But it's not. So you get a lot of um, you got you get a, like a lot of units who are not tier one units, but we still have. Okay, I'll put it this way. I am positive that without a doubt, that I've had guys in my unit who are better than some guys in different tier one units, and it's the other way around. I'm positive that there's tier one guys who are better than guys in different tier one units. You know, it's like you said, the grass is always greener on the other side, but 
you know, the IDF is a big place and a small place at the same time because yeah, different units, different units with different options. There's a lot of options to, to go in and like a lot of places to go into and to contribute in the special forces world. Right. Yeah, and I, a hundred percent. And I think on this type of units, like, uh, you know, from the level of Agatsar, like uh, reconnaissance battalions and, um, you know, the commando brigade, uh, in the end of the day, uh, you're, you're doing the day to day work. You're, you're really uh, doing the things that are, you know, happening all the time. You're part of it. And you can also do a wide variety of stuff, you know, that can be from, you know, uh, an arrest to an ambush to you know working inside of a of a of a village like in the west bank or going to the border with gaza like and uh, you know in in a tier one unit per se you you're exposed to different things but uh, as you said the work is less constant uh, because basically it's more specialized and oftentimes it's also waiting for something you know um, in case it happens or in case it's needed or something that could require many years of, of a, you know, training for. Um, but if you do get that, that, that in, in a unit like that, then it's obviously, you know, something like, you know, out of the uh, movement, like incredible, but, um, but oftentimes people don't value, you know, uh, the, the tier two units, let's say as much as they should. And a hundred percent agree with you that in the other day, well, I've met people who weren't even in a special unit, and I thought they were much better than people in the most special units. But um, it's, uh, you know, in the other day, there's a lot of uh, things that come into play with that. And, and uh, yeah, 100%, I think people should value more, you know, understand why they want to serve, first of all, what are the things they want to do, and, um, and then, you know, go for a unit uh, that, that fits that. For example intelligence like i personally it took me a long time to understand that i'm not even like remotely interested in, in in things that have to do with intelligence as much as i am with things that have to do with like combat or like urban warfare or things like that so if you're able to to tell yourself uh, you know uh, to or to understand enough about yourself then that can also guide you to you know what's the right place to serve for you right yeah no doubt man no doubt um not everything that shines is uh it's gold and not everything that doesn't shine isn't gold. 100%. Exactly. And uh, I think that takes us into, you know, sort of the, the conclusion here where now, uh, you know, we've gone through a lot of the technicalities of your story and what you did. Now, uh, you know, I'm sure there's people that, that want to hear some stories. So uh, let's start with what, what's one of the funniest things that, uh, you know, funniest memories that you have from your service so far. Right, so it's uh, well, um, it's all like small things. Like I don't know if it would, if they would even be funny if I say them right now. But back at the moment, like in the moment, it was like one of the, you know, a lot of memorable things that uh, they used to go on. Like for example, it's a small stupid thing, right? But listen to this: we finish an op, and we you know we get out of the hot zone or whatnot. The op went great, very successful. Everybody is happy. And it's dark, of course, and we have our night vision on. Like everybody is standing in a circle and everybody with, with night vision goggles on. And like you can't see who you're exactly talking to, especially with all the face paint and, you know, the masks and all that. And I get off, you know, my vehicle 
and walk towards that debriefing circle. And I, I spot my friend. He's like, my, you know, he's a good friend of mine. And that thing where like, we kind of like swipe each other's ass crack. Like, you know, credit cards. It's a, it's a thing that everybody does in the army. Like, at least, you know, you, you tap somebody on the balls or like somebody swipe somebody's ass or whatnot. And I'm stepping out of the, out of the vehicle, you know, good off. Everybody's happy. And I come up to my friend. Like, with the, you know, I'm just excited. You know, I'm, I'm seeing my friend. And with all my strength, I put the two of my hands together and just like charge at the guy like a Spartan with a, with a spear and like stick it right up his butt and like swipe and like fish. And the guy jumps like three feet in the air and everybody's in dead silence, like shocked. And I'm like, it wasn't your friend. <laughs> I'm looking and it was basically the machat of the gizra. <laughs> It's like, I don't know how to explain that. It was like the, the battalion commander of the whole area that we did the operation in. And like yeah. eight hours ago, I was sitting in a meeting with a guy and being like, yeah, don't worry. I got this. You know, I'm, I'm the guy leading the team in the op and I know we're working in your yard and all that. You know, trust me, everything's good. Oh, and man. I just like sexually assaulted this guy. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like... I thought you were somebody else. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's a good one, man. I, I, I'm surprised you said it wouldn't be funny. That's hilarious. Man. It wow. was. Yeah, everybody. For a while after that, everybody would see me. They would cover their butt, like they would put their hands on their butts and like stay away from me. And I'm like, <laughs> that's hilarious, man. That's hilarious. That's a good one. <laughs> we had a lot of shit like that going on, you know. Good time. Oh man. man. Oh man. <laughs> And he didn't say anything about it afterwards. I am saying, like, right? He wanted nah, to. Also... It was like, it was like dead silence for like five seconds. And and I'm like, you know, I didn't say. I was like, uh, I thought it was somebody else. And everybody's like, still shocked. Nobody's laughing. You gotta say, nobody's laughing. Everybody's <laughs> everybody's scared. Like this guy has, um, like three falafels on his shoulder, man. He, this right. this is not somebody you want to fuck with. It's a, it's a colonel. Yeah, and <laughs> he, he turns around like five. He stares at me for five seconds and turns around to the to the circle. And he's like, All "Right, guys, it was a good op, good work from the sniper team. It was you know done pro, it was done great. Everything uh, went smooth and all that. And you know everybody says what they gotta say. And, you know, right? They say the that night. you know a big amount of sexual harassment events are not reported. You know, so there's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> We came back later to the same area and for at least a few months, the whole thing of me sexually assaulting the high ranking officer stuck with me and people were talking like how it's, you know, anyway, it was funny. You know, it's, I think you were lucky that he probably didn't recognize you either. So he no, man, I was standing next to him, right next to him. And in the debrief, you know, <laughs> I was the sniper team leader, you know, given the debrief of my, I, I led that off. So it was like me and him. <laughs> Face to face, but it was good. The op went good. I, I'm and I'm positive. If the op didn't go good, he would fucking hang me upside down from my ass. I'm positive about it. That's huge. But That's a good one. Like I said, you know, be good, and everybody will like you, no matter what you do. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah, it was a good one. Um, so yeah, so so we did speak about some of the the challenges and uh, you know that you, you faced, especially uh, as an officer. A lot of people have like that one moment in the army where they like, 
for for example, it's uh, you know w- when you're in the army. I, I remember into like in basic training and advanced training, you're like doing what you're doing, but you don't necessarily feel yet like you're in the army. And I remember a point where we were basically, I think we were in like some sort of Kosla shab, and I had a mug, so I was on a hill and I was looking down at the soldiers, and like I saw other people in my machlaka, uh, like company or whatever, going and and doing the lashab, and I saw it from the outside, and suddenly it like all became real. And uh, I was like, shit, this is, you know, this is it. Like we're, we're in the army. Like we, we know what we're doing. Um, is there any moment like that, that uh, if you look back on, we, where things were like, yeah, this is, this is it. Yeah. Um, in, in special forces, you got to get the, the feel of the atmosphere of, of fun. Like, you know, it's a relaxed environment whenever you're not training and you got a lot of privileges and you got a lot of cool stuff hanging around. And, you know, it's fun. You have your good friends, your teammates, and you're living the dream. But I remember, like, my first stop, we were where we expected to engage people. Um, Shit got real serious real quick. Like, there was an instant distinction of what I... I swear to God, I can I remember exactly how the room looked like and what everybody, what facial expression everybody had on their faces and what was like you could. It was intense. Like this was a moment of okay. We've had we've had our training. We've had our shit. You know, we've had all the time to prepare, or whatnot, or not even a lot of time to prepare. And now comes a challenge where you're supposed to engage somebody in an environment where there's a lot of um, non-hostile people hanging around. Like it's a very sensitive area. Like if you mess up, you will injure somebody that is not related to this um, hostile activity. And that was, and you know, at that point, of course I realized that before that was, I was doing a serious job and whatnot and everybody was, you know, it's special forces and all that, and it's not, you know, everybody knew that responsibility was great. But at that point, at that moment, I realized that if I mess up now, if anybody my, out of my team messes up, we are killing somebody innocent. Yeah. And that hit hard as a brick to all the team. And thank God, thank God, out of all the operations that we've done, where we've had, you know, uh, an area rich with non-combatants we have never had um a mistake or no nobody that shouldn't be hurt got hurt you know everything just you know happened by the book and we were blessed i honestly i think at one point you know one side of me says that we were blessed and this is like a gift or you know luck plays its part in this thing and the second part of me says no fuck that like you train for this like you busted your ass. You didn't go home when you should have went home on uh, different weeks because you trained for this and you deserve not to hit anybody innocent. But you know, life is life. And like you can train for years and something unexpected happened and something fucks up. And it's not, you know, it's somewhat not your fault. But if you're in it and if you're the guy doing the fuck up, it is your fault. No matter what yeah. you say to yourself. Like if you were the one that's done the damage, it is your fault even though you've prepared and whatnot. And thank God nothing happened throughout all that time. I was, you know, I was very happy that 
you know, with the, with the results that we had. Yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, definitely for the, the guys before the army, this, there's been some great advice and you know, great things that they can take from this. Um, before we conclude, like, you know, this is, this is your chance. If there's anything else that uh, you want to add to, to people before the army, uh, whether they be lone soldiers from our community, someone from your community. Um, yeah, this, this is it. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the carrot and the stick. And I'm going to start by saying kudos to you that you're putting in your time and studying and doing your homework and preparing and achieving and striving for something greater. That's all you, man. That's like, you deserve your good stuff from that. But you have to realize the privilege you have and the help that you can get and the community surrounding you. And you have everything you need to succeed more than everything. You have more than everything. You have people taking their time to mentor you and teach you and train you. You have to realize that it comes with a big responsibility. You have to prove yourself for them a lot more than you have to prove for yourself. Like at this point of time, if they put in the effort in you, if, if like they took the time to train you, you owe it to them partially. You owe them, you, you owe them at least that. And you know, just be a good teammate, be a good team member. And if you don't know what's going on or you don't know what to do, just ask for help, man. Don't lie, of course. Lying is never an option. And don't be a don't be a stuck-up prick. There's always somebody bigger and better than you, man. Don't you know? Don't feel privileged, or don't feel like you deserve anything more than anybody else. And that's it, man. I think uh, great advice. So, uh, yeah, um, basically, like uh, like we said, there's been a lot of uh, good things. I think there's a lot of advice here. I, I definitely enjoyed uh, listening to your story, and uh, yeah, I'll pass it over to Bernardo to finish off. Uh, well, I I want to say thanks, and um, I think uh, there was so many interesting stuff that we heard today. Like I said. Um, it's a privilege really to be able to uh, talk to someone like you, you know, with so much uh, independence and um, initiative and courage and character and uh, leadership and uh, all of the skills that you've demonstrated through your career so far. Uh, and dude, I'm hoping that, you know, stay safe these days and keep succeeding, keep, keep kicking ass. And uh, hopefully we'll, you know, what's also fun is that last time we met in person, was at the, uh, you know, the Kevel, the, um, or the, the Nevishuayev uh, area, right? In right, Israel. yeah, yeah. And, and now it's the holiday. So, uh, so that, that's a, that's a good thing. Think about that, yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, thanks for participating here. Uh, is there anything you want to mention for, uh, you know, links or, or places or anything like that or anyone else you want to mention? No, I just want to say... Mm -hmm. Thank you guys, and it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. And I want to take the time to thank you guys for all the work that you're putting in into the community. It's like, honestly, uh, we're not getting into deep in that, but I realize, I understand how difficult that is. Uh, you know, stepping out of your own time and putting in your own work. And sometimes, you know, people don't, they don't even, they don't even want that help. 
or like they don't realize the help that you're giving. And you know, hats off to you guys. I'm, you know, it's a good chat. I've had fun, and we gotta go shoot and get something. Yeah, quick, yeah. man. We gotta get. <laughs> We gotta we'll get some that race real quick, we'll man. When this lockdown's over. <laughs> thanks, guys. So, Daniel, thank you. Thanks, yeah, uh, thank you guys. Daniel, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right, have a good weekend.